Hi, welcome to the Keep Singing Podcast. I am your host, Sunny, aka Dynamic Symmetry, on Tumblr and just about everywhere else. Good morning, Bethel fandom. Yes, I'm actually recording this in the morning. Uh, it's currently like just a little after 10. Uh, not really sure why I decided to do this in the morning, I guess. Partly because I have a lot of stuff to do today, and also because, um, well, I mean, for one thing, my disappointment regarding last night is nice and fresh. Um, not gonna talk too much about the actual show, I think, except for when people request meta as a rule. Um, I don't think I'm gonna do actual episode reviews, and one of the reasons why I'm not gonna do actual episode reviews, just quick sidebar before we get started. I am keeping this in explicitly Team Delusional slash Team Defiance neutral space. Clearly I have my own opinion, or if you know me, you know I have my own opinion. But I think in general it's probably a good idea if we not get into this too much here. Um, of course, you know, depending on what happens, we <laughs> might get into it a lot. But uh, I know that it upsets some people. I'd like to keep it a safe space. So for the most part, we're just not going to talk about it. And that's one of the reasons why I'm not going to be doing episode reviews. Because, uh, it, as you know, again, if you read my postmortems, it's pretty much impossible for me to talk about episodes without talking about Beth. So I think it's probably a good idea if I just leave that alone. That said, uh, once again, if you follow my Tumblr, you know that I wasn't too pleased about last night. A lot of us weren't too pleased about last night. So I feel like this is potentially a balm if this is something that you enjoy listening to. Uh, I have tea, I have a bagel. Once again, I'll try not to eat like directly into the microphone, but once again, there are only a certain number of fucks that I have to give, and these days there aren't that many of them. Okay, I, uh, first of all, uh, really want to say that I appreciate so, so, so much the response I got to the first episode. I didn't really know how this was going to work when I got into it. I didn't know if this was something that fandom wanted. I didn't know if this was something that there was a place for or something that people would actually be following. It seems like there is a desire for this, and that's really cool, because, you know, as long as people want to do this, or as long as people want to listen, I'll keep doing it. Uh, I really like it. It's a lot of fun for me. It's kind of time-consuming, but that's okay, because a lot of the stuff I do for fun is time-consuming. I, I mean, it should be. It's fun. I just wish that I could do it all the time and get paid for it and whatnot. Uh, in terms of length, uh, we are going to, I think, be running between an hour and an hour and a half. People did not seem to have a problem with it being an hour long, which is cool, because an hour long really worked well for me. Uh... Generally speaking, the fic that I'm going to be reading is going to run to... It's going to run between 15 minutes and half an hour to read, I think. For the most part, I'm interested in reading uh, short one-shots. I'm not saying that in the future I won't do chapter stuff, but I feel a little bit like it's strange to do... It's strange to devote multiple podcasts to multiple chapters of something. I think it's kind of... Among other things, it's kind of unfair because I want to be able to give a lot of people a chance to be part of this. But also, I just think it works better. So that's primarily what I'm going to be focusing on, and you should know that if you're going to be sending me requests uh, for stuff that I'll be reading. Uh, so that's generally going to be the length. I'm probably not going to go much under, and I'm probably not going to go much over. If people do have a problem with that, this is, this is something else that I really want people to, to know. 
I want your feedback. So if I'm doing something that isn't working for you, if I'm doing something that you don't like, if I'm doing something that you prefer I do more or less of, please let me know. Because I want this to be as good for the entire fandom as it possibly can be. It, uh, this is not that something that I'm doing just for me. I have a lot of fun doing it. I wanted to do it partly because I just wanted to know how to do a podcast. But this is for the fandom. And I want to make it as good for the fandom as I possibly can. So, yeah, that's the length. Uh, regarding the safe for work level, I've been yelling about this a lot on my Tumblr. Today, I'm going to be reading Smut. I, I said last episode I didn't think I was going to be reading Smut. Yeah, I, I didn't even make it to like episode three before I fucking caved. I, if you know me, I don't think you're all that surprised. So yes, there will be Smut today. There will be Smut in the future. I don't yet know the level of explicitness I'll be getting to. The Smut today is, it's, I mean, it's between M and NC-17. It's not like super, super, super explicit, but it is Smut. So I want you to be knowing that in case you have kids or whatever. Like, this is something you shouldn't listen to in mixed company, probably. As the word cock is in there more than once. And I had a lot of fun doing it. Something that you may not know about me, I mentioned in the last episode that I'm a professional writer. I got my start writing erotica. Like, very first short story I ever sold, which was $5 to Circlet Press. They have an online microfiction thing. It was erotica. It was alien erotica. So this is actually something in which I have professional roots, and I've done live erotica readings. But you know what? The thing about those is that you don't have to listen to yourself when you play it back. Because you don't have to do post-production. So I had to listen to myself doing this, and it was weird. But but I actually think it worked kind of well, so I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that. So yeah, this is a not-safe-for-work podcast officially now in more than one way. When I do read Smut, I will be letting you know. So, yeah, so it's just something you know. Don't assume I'm going to be doing it every time. This is just something I'm doing this time. Also, we are now on iTunes, which I think is pretty cool. So if you get your podcasting primarily through iTunes, you can subscribe to us now that way. I didn't know it was this easy to do this, by the way, I've got to say. So it's... it's, People were, back when I was looking for platforms on which to do this, people were suggesting a variety of things. And one of the things people said was, you know, well, if you, if you want this to be free, and I'll get to that in a minute, if you want this to be free, you should maybe think about just doing it on YouTube or something, just doing an audio file on YouTube. And, and that was something that was on the table, but it was also something that I didn't find particularly satisfactory, and clearly I didn't end up going with that. And one of the reasons why I ended up going with SoundCloud, which is a paid service, at least it's a paid service for what I use it for, because the free version of it just is not adequate for this purpose. SoundCloud is great for podcasting, and one of the reasons why it's great, and I sound like I'm shilling for SoundCloud, but further not paying me, that would be nice. Uh, One of the reasons why it's great is it allows you to distribute along a number of platforms, and one of the platforms it allows you to distribute through is iTunes which is fun and cool. So yes, the blathering, we're on iTunes now, so you can subscribe to us there. Also, we now have a website. Uh, you can find us at keepsingingpodcast.wordpress.com. Actually, you know what? It's early and I haven't had all my teeth, so let me make sure it's actually the URL. Yes, keepsingingpodcast, all one word, dot wordpress.com. 
and you can find a number of things there. Uh, one of the things I'm doing there is compiling a bunch of lists of FICREX. We're going to keep doing individual FICREX on this, but I think it's also just cool to have other resources on the website that I don't include on the podcast. And one of those is just the giant list of RECs that people put together. So if you have some of those, take a look at what we got. We got two so far. I'm going to be adding another one today. Take a look at what we got. If you have some of your own, please send them in. Um, I know a lot of people have made lists. I don't personally have time to track them down. Uh, Sorry, but I don't. It's like, you can, I can do this and I can write fic or I can do things like that. And I think that I can guess what people would prefer. So send me in your lists and I'll put them on the website. And keep sending me your recs. I've been getting a lot of great response there. I've been getting a lot of people sending me fic recs. It's very cool. Uh, Once again, to reiterate some of what I said in the first episode, I will be doing what I can to come up with content. I think that, um, you know, I already have some ideas. I have some stuff I want to do. But assuming I do more episodes of this, and I'm doing two a month as of right now, I require, uh, not require, I I really depend on you guys for content. Content ideas, uh, actual content submissions. It helps me out enormously. And once again, this is the Fandoms Podcast. I, I don't want this to be just me talking into a mic. I want the fandom to get involved. I want this to be something we all put together ourselves, even if you know I'm, a, I'm the only one up here talking. That's another thing. People responded really well to my voice. It's just kind of fun. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to be falsely modest. I know I have a good voice. But it's been really cool to have people respond well to that. It's been very flattering. So thank you, by the way, nice people. Uh, one more thing about the website. And, and this is, I listened to a podcast called My Brother, My Brother and Me. Uh, I really recommend it. It's, it's an advice show for the modern era. It's basically these uh, three very funny guys who I like a lot reading Yahoo Answers. <laughs> I'm guessing you can already get a sense of where this will be going. Reading Yahoo Answers and offering their a very, very useful and well thought out and practical advice. And they call this thing where they have all their sponsors the money zone. For a second, we're going to go into the money zone. So I mentioned that SoundCloud, the version I use, is paid. And I may, for space reasons, have to upgrade even further. It's not hugely expensive. I think that uh, one of the reasons why I stayed with SoundCloud, first of all, I already an account. Secondly, it's really easy to use. But thirdly, I looked at a number of different services, and theirs seem to be the most reasonably priced and the best value for money. So I am paying out of pocket to do this. I'm not paying very much. It's not that expensive. And believe me when I say, and I swear to God, I'm not looking to make a profit off this. It's actually very important to me that I don't make a profit off this because as I think I mentioned at the last episode, I have major ethical reasons for monetizing fandom. It's it's something that I really believe in strongly not doing. It's not something that I'll say you're a monster for doing, but it is something that it's I have very strong ethical opinions about it. So I'm really not looking to make a profit. I really don't. That said, it's nice to be compensated for some of the stuff that I'm doing, and I really appreciate when people can help me cover these costs. Also, I potentially might get a new microphone because the one I'm talking through right now is old and I've spilled coffee on it once, and I think I could do better with some of the cheap ones that they have right now. I think it would be better even than this. So, yeah, uh, there's a tip jar on the website. It's through PayPal. Any little bit that you want to drop in the chip jar, tip jar, 
chip jar. Any little bit that you want to top, uh, toss in the tip jar, hugely, hugely appreciated. A couple people already done so. Wonderful, generous people. Thank you so much. Uh, that's right on the front page of the website. It's a jar of money. It says tips. Click it. You give me some money. That's amazing. So yeah, that's that's one way in which the fandom can get involved and then help me continue to do this. Although, you know what? I'll continue to do it regardless because I'm just, again, having fun. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, website, Ficrex. Uh, I'm working my way through my agenda here. Next, Ultimate Bethel Fick List. Uh, they're on Tumblr, but they're also now on WordPress. Uh, I want to give them a shout out. UltimateBethelFickList.wordpress.com uh, they have a fanfic forum now where you can just go and, you know, talk about whatever related to fanfics. Check that out. I did briefly. It looks really cool. I'm really glad that, that somebody did that. I think that, once again, this is an exciting time in fandom because people are doing all this cool new stuff. So check that out. Uh, reminder, the first annual Moonshine Awards are happening. Nominations are open from December 1st to the 15th. So get ready to do that. Voting begins on January 4th, 2016, and then the winners will be announced on February 1st. Uh, nominations are only open for stories that were marked completed as of the 30th of this month or before. There are a number of different categories, which I think is cool. Uh, go to the website, check them out, or go to Tumblr and check them out and submit. Uh, this isn't going to be fun unless a lot of people submit. Uh, also, the voting won't really be fair. Uh, you'll start end up looking like the Hugo Awards in science fiction and fantasy this for the short fiction category. And trust me, just trust me, we don't want that for a variety of reasons. So yeah, go, go nominate, go vote. Uh, let's do more cool stuff. And yes. So I'm going to go on to the fic recs now. Uh, we got a few. Um, I want to remind you, uh, because not everybody's been doing this. I appreciate fic recs regardless. It's really awesome when people send them in. But I really want to remind you that uh, two things. It is super helpful to me if you tell me where they are. Uh, AO3, IFF.net, both. It's helpful because it means I don't have to look for them, which is, you know, it saves me some time. Uh, it's helpful for people because it means people don't have to look for them. And they could be in either or both places. And the other thing that's really helpful to me is if you tell me just a little bit about it. I look up uh, summaries, I read them. But if you can tell me something about why you like it so much, that's it, even if it's just like, I like it because single sentence, it's helpful to me. I, I want people to know a little bit about these things when I recommend them. So yeah, that's, that's very helpful to me if you do that. So the first one is Hello Neighbor by Andromeda. This is on AO3. It's an AU. Uh, I haven't read it. I actually haven't read any of the ones I'm reading today, but that's awesome because it means now they're on my list. Uh, the summary is, moving into your own apartment can be daunting, but Beth Green was beyond ready to start her life on her own. Going to school, having a job at the church down the road, and putting up with the Dixons as neighbors? Maybe this wasn't such a good idea after all. Uh, just a warning for you who care about this, and I know some people do and actually find this kind of frustrating, this is not complete. And it hasn't been updated since 2014, so personally I think it's unlikely that it will be completed. That said, there can be great joy in uh, reading Roman... Um, not romantic. I told you this was early and I haven't had all my tea yet. Uh, there can be great joy in reading incomplete stuff. It can be frustrating, but it doesn't mean there isn't good stuff in there. So I'm just mentioning that for those of you who care, but I'm not saying don't go read it. That's not like a non-recommendation from me. Second one is So Happy to Be Home by Lady Beth Dixon. This is on ff.net. Uh, it's one shot. 
it's a one of the ones where Beth comes to Alexandria. Beth makes it to Alexandria after being shot and left for dead, and a Bethel reunion ensues. The person who sent this in said, this is what the reunion should actually be like, which is awesome. One of the things that makes me so happy about... Uh, hang on, I need, I need to. One of the things that makes me so happy about... I don't want to say happy, but that I think is really cool about CODA, and that I don't think actually would have happened... If it weren't for Coda, I think that I think that the explosion of creativity in this fandom has been a direct response, and I don't know that we would have seen it if it weren't for what happened in Coda, which is awful, and I wish to God it hadn't, but I think that something great has come out of it. And one of the things that I think that's come out of it that's so wonderful are, are all of these reunion scenarios. Because so, the, so many of them are just so neat, and they're all these different looks at how it might happen, and Obviously, yeah, there are similar threads running through them, but, but so many of them are really different and come from such different places and have such different approaches. And I think that's wonderful. So this is one of those. So check it out. Again, ff.net. Lady Beth Dixon, so happy to be home. And then finally, All That We Touch Becomes Ours. This is by Saren CCD. Saren, S-E-R-E-N, space CCD. It's on AO3. Uh, summary is, it all clicks into place and she holds her breath. The cleanliness of the place, the dog, the supplies, all of it. It was a trap and acid rises in her throat. He takes her hand and they run off into the night. This is uh, an AU after alone, which is something else that I love. Given that, you know, they didn't get to stay at the funeral home and they didn't get to be happy forever and, you know, have the dog and have kids and whatever you wanted them to do. There have been such great AUs about what happened after the O scene. Uh, I love it. It's it's awesome. So this is one of those. Check that out. AO3. And that's all for Rex. Uh, keep sending those in. Very pleased with what I've been getting so far. Uh, thank you everyone who sent them in. You are helping me keep this going and I appreciate that immensely. Hang on. More tea. Yeah. So. Tea. I like tea. Tea's fucking awesome. So one of the things that I asked people to help me with today is sending in meta. Hang on, bagel now. Chewing. A strawberry cream cheese. If you read I'll Be Yours First Song, there's that little bit at the beginning where they get free bagels and Beth has strawberry cream cheese. And Daryl just does not even kind of get bagels or cream cheese. He's just like, I don't even understand this human practice. What is going on? It's like an alien. That part was so fun to write. So I wanted to do some meta. I like doing meta. And yeah, I'll cut some of this chewing in post-production. And one of the reasons why I like doing meta is that there's just so much speculation involved. And sometimes I hate speculation and sometimes I really love it. Uh, obviously speculation in fic is one of the things I love about fic. So I asked some people to send me in just some stuff to blather about because normally this is the kind of thing I answer in text. But also I just like talking. So I have some meta to answer. Uh, I may not be able to get to all of it, but I'm going to go ahead and get to as much of it as I can before we jump into the fic reading for today. So the first one is from Eye of the Storm, and they ask, Could you maybe talk a bit about Beth and Daryl's body language? I think it's so fascinating how Daryl literally opened up physically to her, always keeping her close. Yeah. God, I love this part. Um, And I, I mean, I think that it, it really starts happening in Alone, clearly. Uh, really, it starts happening at the very end of Still. 
But it also really begins just in the first episode of season four, in 30 Days Without an Accident. That's really where that dynamic starts. And I love this. I love this because one of the things that is so great on this show is how it deals with Daryl's history of abuse. It's not, I think, the best depiction of it ever. Uh, I think there's some problems with it. It's a, it's a difficult thing to deal with, and I think that obviously that means the show is not going to do it perfectly. The show does many things imperfectly, but I do think it does this really well. And one of the things about Daryl that I think it's done well from the beginning, uh, or at least very early on, because I think that we first see um, some really strong indications of it in season two with Carol, one of the things it does really early on is how he has a very hard time being touched, and he's uneasy touching other people. It comes out, I think, in subsequent seasons and episodes that he is more comfortable touching other people than he is being touched. And I think that makes sense, because when he's touching other people, he's in control. When someone's touching him, he's not in control, and he doesn't like that. And obviously one of the reasons why I think he doesn't like that is because if touch is a language of affection between human beings, and you know, for a lot of us it is, because that's just that's our experience of life, which is great. We're fortunate in that way. But for Daryl, I think for most of his life, uh, touch as a language has been violent. Touch is painful. Touch is aggressive. He is, when he's touched, his, I mean, he has, he has PTSD from this. He's traumatized. When he's touched, when someone touches him, his body on like a deep level assumes that it's about to be hurt. Like he associates being touched with being hurt. So watching him get to a point where he can actually let people, just people, anybody, touch him is really neat. And, you know, we see it throughout the show as he starts to become comfortable with team family and starts to really get the sense that these people like him and respect him and they're not going to hurt him and, and that he's safe with them. Or at least he's as safe with them as he's be- ever been with anybody. But obviously it really starts to get interesting when he starts to deal physically with Beth. And one of the things that I love about Beth is that she's like the polar opposite of Daryl. And this is, this is one of the reasons why I think that, again, you know, team defiance, neutral space. But this is one of the reasons why I think that the show very carefully put them together and very carefully built up their relationship throughout season four and didn't do it in season five, but I think that continued with them separate kind of building them up as characters together who might come back together or might have come back together and have been very interesting in this respect, having had some time apart to deal with things, but having had that history to begin with. Beth Beth give hug, gives hugs. Beth likes touching people. Beth, Beth has that experience of life that Daryl didn't have. Beth grew up in a family that loved her. Beth grew up in a family where she didn't have to be afraid that when somebody was going to touch her, that they were going to hurt her. The default for her has been that touch is affectionate. Touch is something you do with somebody else when you like them. So she gives him that hug in 30 Days Without an Accident, which we all fucking love, like gift sets and dicks and everything to do with it. And it's just, it's, it's not even just that we, I think, like it from a romantic perspective. I mean, we do, but, I mean, hang on a second. A sip of tea and then quick digression. 
So one of the things, I'm going to try not to make this a negative podcast, that's the other thing. I, I think it's really important, especially in the fandom right now, that we just are as positive as positive, and we have a lot to be positive about. One of the things that infuriates me, though, about the people who are really aggressively against this ship is that they automatically sexualize it. They just make it... It's, it's weird, because it's like they do the thing that they accuse us of doing. They do the thing that they have a problem with us supposedly doing. They take the ship and they just completely reduce it to sex. And they completely reduce our interpretation and processing of it to sex. And that means that they completely abandon all of the stuff like this. They don't talk about emotional intimacy. They don't talk about physical intimacy that has nothing to do with sex, because physical intimacy is not necessarily sexual. And some of the most healing physical intimacy that you can have as somebody who, you know, has been like Daryl, who has been taught his whole life that touch is violent and aggressive and it's not something that he should want. It's, it's so important. It's so healing. It's how you start to recover. It's how you start to recover your ability to connect with human beings. It's not sexual at all. And I think that the coolest stuff that happens between Beth and Daryl in terms of physical contact is not sexual in any way. I mean, I don't think that there's... I don't think any of their interactions in season four are sexual. It's, it, there's no sex in there. Daryl is completely asexual. His... He, he doesn't seem to be attracted to Beth so much as he just loves to be near her and he just loves to be around her and and he's curious he's trying to figure it out you can see that he's kind of this is something so new and he's trying to work his way through it and he doesn't understand it and he really wants to it's it's probably also one of the very few experiences in his life where he doesn't understand something and it's not a bad thing his lack of understanding is not frightening. It doesn't make him angry. He just wants to understand. So watching him work through that is really beautiful. But but this 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 insistence on ignoring all of the stuff that's going on between these two characters that is really deep and really complex and not in any way sexual or even necessarily romantic. That is one of the things that I love about this relationship because it's not necessarily what you would see on other shows. On other shows where they're building up characters to, to get together, and, and obviously I think that they they were slash are doing that, the attraction is sexual or erotic or whatever right from the beginning. The, these are characters with established sexualities on these other shows, and those sexualities are in play from the get-go. And that is not the case in this ship. And I think that's really interesting, and I like that, that they're doing that, because I like that this show does do things that stand out is very different to me from the way a lot of other shows handle stuff. It's one of the things I genuinely do like about the show, and I still like the show. And I love that about this ship. It's it's so deep and so different in the beginning because of that. As you watch these two characters slowly open up to each other, and really Beth doesn't even have to open up to him. Beth is open from the beginning. But Daryl really starts to understand that this is he's safe with her, that this is a safe space for him, and you watch him start to open up, and you watch him start to realize, not only am I safe with this person, and not only is her touching me not something I have to be afraid of, but I like when she touches me. And it's not sexual, it's just, it's this human contact that he hasn't really ever had in this way. And it's, 
you know how people sometimes don't know that they need something until they have it. And I don't think that he's really understood that this is something that, it's not just something that he can want and he's allowed to want. This is really a basic physical need that is part of being with another human being that he's never had, ever. Not even with members of Team Family with whom he's very close, like Carol and, and Rick. Not really. I mean, some, yes. Uh, especially Carol. But I don't think like that. Uh, like what we see in, in Alone and at the end of Still with the hug. Because he's never, nobody's ever hugged him like that, that we've seen. Nobody's ever done that for him. It's so new. It's so different. And he he sort of just gives into it. That's one of the things that I love about that hug and Still. And, and I, I think if I'm recalling correctly, that was initially supposed to be face-to-face. But they changed it so that it was front to back. And I forget who said that that was in so many ways more intimate than if they had done face-to-face in some ways. But I agree. I think that face-to-face would have been... It's another one of the situations where I think it would have been conventional in a way that wasn't very interesting. But the way they did it, she looks so much more like she is supporting him. If you look at the shot where they pull back right before they cut to the conversation on the porch. He is just slumped over. Like, he looks like he's about to crumple. And in one of the post-hug fix I wrote, he does. He, like, just completely crumples to the ground, and she just ends up holding him. Which I think, you know, it's not one of the situations where I'm like, it would be great if this happened, but it couldn't have. No, I like, I can totally see that that could have been. In fact, that's, like, actually the next question. So I'm sort of jumping the gun. But he, he's falling apart there. And she's holding him up in a way that she would not have been, I think, if she had been facing him. And watching him give in. I mean, that, that moment is so important because he's releasing. He's just releasing everything. He's, the crying is physical release. He's, he's releasing in that he's finally just kind of loose. All this tension that's been building up in him and all this self-loathing and all this guilt and all, just everything that is... You can see him throughout the episode just winding up and winding up and winding up and then finally he cracks. He he has that he has the explosion of rage at her, which is awful to watch. And then he breaks. And he breaks because he breaks because she pushes him. Even when she's angry at him, she's pushing him pushing at him in a way that I would consider very loving. She's not pushing him in a way that you know, she wants to hurt him. She's pushing him in a way that she's like, you know, you don't get to do this. You don't get to do this to me. You don't get to do this to yourself anymore. You have to stop this now. And she pushes him to the point where he breaks. And he just, he completely surrenders. And that moment, I think, is physically so important because he's just, that moment of surrendering is where he starts to realize, I think, that he's safe because He's so vulnerable in that moment. He's vulnerable in a way that, again, we don't, we never see him like that with anybody else on the show. This is another reason why I, I'm sorry. If you think that they weren't building them up for this, I don't know what show you're watching. He is, he is not even like this with Carol. And I say this as somebody who really loves Carol and loves their relationship and thinks that it's wonderful and important and valuable. And I hate when people disparage it because that's stupid. 
if you, I think if you love Daryl, you have to love Carol too, because she's done so much for him and she's been so important in his life and so important in his process of opening up. But she does not do that with him. Nobody else does that with him. He is never like this. And in fact, one of the things I think that you see in that release and still is he's not just releasing the tension that's been building up throughout the episode. And he's not just releasing the tension that's been building up since we see him in Inmates, since he's been since the prison collapsed. He's releasing tension that he's been building up since season one and prior to season one because his life doesn't begin in season one. His life begins way before that. I think that this is tension that's been building in him since he was old enough to have this kind of tension build. And he is finally releasing it. And it's an incredibly intimate moment. He So he's vulnerable in that way. He, he gives up. He's just... He's he's raw. He's just ripped open. And she's there, and she doesn't hurt him. And I'm, I'm speaking about this as somebody who's not an abuse survivor. I'm speaking this, about this as somebody who has no formal training in psychology or, or therapy or anything. I'm, you know, I have sociology degrees, but I'm not a social worker. There's a difference between those two things. Some people don't know that. So I'm, I'm really not speaking from a place of expertise here, and I want to be clear about that. But I think that when you've been taught your whole life that it, you have to be protecting yourself because the second you stop protecting yourself, somebody is going to hurt you. The second somebody sees weakness. I mean, this is what abusers do. They watch you for weakness. They cultivate weakness. And then they use, that, they use those points of weakness to attack you. And in fact, this is really becoming Daryl Meadow. I'm sorry. And in fact, I'm really rambling here. But it's fun. I love talking about Daryl. I mean, I love talking about Beth and Daryl, but I fucking love talking about Daryl because he's my favorite and sort of a weird alter ego, actually, in some ways, because that's what happens when I love male characters. Where was I going with that? Yes. Yes. Uh, you, you, see this in, uh, you see this in his explosion in Still, prior to when he cracks. Excuse me, T. You see him do this, and it's heartbreaking. Because one thing I will say is that my brother is an abuse survivor, and I, I've seen him do it. I only recently, we only recently kind of figured out, actually, that he was an abuse survivor because he was not abused by anybody in our family. He was actually abused by his best friend, which is fucking awful, by the way. God. In some ways, actually, that, like, upsets me a little more even than if it was a family member. It upsets me in different ways. But anyway, um, one of the things that my brother has, has done that's been very difficult and very upsetting is that he he's like Daryl. He sees details about somebody. He very closely watches somebody. He's very good at spotting details. He knows people deeply. He's a smart guy. Very smart. And Daryl's very smart too. Daryl is like one of the very smartest people on the show. He's not formally educated, but he is so fucking smart. And he watches for details. And one of the things that you see in the show is that he uses those details to do good things for people. He uses those details to be kind to people. I think one of the reasons he does that is because it's a survival mechanism. He's had to learn how to do that in order to placate somebody who is looking for any reason to hurt him and who, in fact, will hurt him with no reason at all. But he also keeps those details as ammunition. And that's something I've seen my brother do. Knows all your weak points. And when, when you're very close to somebody, when somebody's in your family or, or you know, somebody is your partner, you're, you're, you're vulnerable to them. They know your weak points. You have that in your arsenal if you want to use it. You have nukes. And in, that's something that shows up in my fix safe up here with you. Beth takes that arsenal and she uses it. 
and Daryl's like, God, you know, I knew, I knew that if I opened up to somebody like this, they were going to hurt me, but he doesn't care because it's Beth, or he cares, but he just gives up anyway and lets her do it. That fic is awful. But Daryl has these things in his arsenal. He knows this stuff about Beth. They haven't been close at the prison, no, but Daryl notices things. He's seen her at her weakest, or he's seen her at one of her weak points. You know, he wasn't, you don't really see him around when she tries to kill herself. You don't really see him there at all. But he, you know, he knew. And you know, he remembered that. He noticed, he noted, and he filed it away. And he knows her in general. And when he was at the farm, he saw the kind of family that he never had. And I think he saw a family that he desperately wants. I think that's one of the reasons why you see, shortly before Herschel dies in season four, he's very close to Herschel. You don't get to see enough of that, I think. I really wish you'd seen more. He respects Herschel. He really likes Herschel. I think he loves Herschel in, in the way he loves everybody in who he has come to consider his family. Because Herschel represents a father that he's never had and never will have now, probably. So he, he's seen this thing that he wants, but because he's never had it, he, like a lot of people, resents it deeply, too. Resents it because he should have had it, and just resents it for fucking existing. Because how dare it exist, and how dare it exist without him having it. So he already is carrying around that resentment. That's one of the things you see throughout still. He's just resentful of everything. He's resentful of everything because he's just in pain. And when somebody like him is in pain, they're just looking for any excuse to lash out. But he's resentful also because they are moving through this fucking country club, and he's seeing all of this privilege, and he's seeing all of this stuff, and he's seeing that Beth is not uncomfortable in this space in the way that he is. You know, and it's not that Beth was really wealthy, probably, and it's not that Beth is this spoiled child, but he looks at her, and he looks at this place, and that's what he starts to see. He starts to see the, the worst things that he can possibly see in this girl. Because that's, that's what his fucking brain is doing. Because his brain is awful. Because the brain of somebody who's abused and has been dealing with mental illness, and Daryl, yeah, Daryl's mentally ill. Uh, the, the brain of somebody who does that is a troll. And I'm speaking of somebody who is mentally ill, too. They're awful. They, your brain itself is looking for any reason it possibly can find to hurt you, and your brain knows you, and it'll hit all your weak points. So he's, he's just, he's so angry, he's so angry, and he's, he knows her weaknesses. And that's why, when he blows up at her after the game, it's so awful, because that's what he's doing. He knows all her weak points, he knows exactly how to hurt her. And he's not just lashing out, you know, he's not just angry, he's being as cruel as he can possibly be. He's trying to hurt her. He's hitting her with his words, even if he's not hitting her with his fists. He's being abusive. In that moment, he's being an abuser. He's slowly becoming his father because nobody just physically abuses somebody. Physical abuse always has an emotional component. And you see, there's that moment where he says, I, I never cut my wrists looking for attention. I swear to God, you see, he pulls back and there's this little flash where he's like, oh God, I just fucking said that. He's drunk and he's like, not even in its right mind at that moment, but he knows he just did a nuclear strike. And she is so strong, by the way, for just taking it like she does. I mean, not taking it, because obviously she's not going to take his shit. But she doesn't cry, she doesn't scream, and she doesn't hit back. She never hits back. Uh, she pushes back, but she never hits back. And that's where I think he starts to break. And starts to realize that 
when he finally does break and he falls apart in her arms, he realizes, you know, not only can I fall apart and be vulnerable with this person and they won't hurt me, but I can hurt them in the worst ways that I can think of without actually physically attacking them. And he does. He physically assaults her. You know, it's not like he's not hitting her, but as far as I'm concerned, he grabs her, he manhandles her when she hasn't given any kind of consent. He physically assaulted her. I, You know, I love the guy, but I don't want to downplay that he did some terrible, kind of unforgivable things in that moment, regardless of how angry and drunk he was. That doesn't excuse anything. But he can hurt her, he can do these things to her, and she she forgives him, and she he is safe with her. He's completely safe in a way that I don't think he's ever felt with anybody. And that's where I think he starts realizing, okay, you know, I can touch I can touch her and she can touch me and I'm, it's not going to hurt. And it's something I need and it's something that feels good. You know, it's not even just that he's safe. This is something that is pleasurable, again, not sexually. It's just, it feels good to touch somebody. And it's one of the things that I think is dealt with so wonderfully in Alone, because Alone is just, clearly it's the extension of their relationship. We don't know exactly how long it's been since Still and Alone, but... We do know that it's been some time. You know, there's a lot of argument about how long are they actually out there. It's been a little while. I don't think it's been more than a couple weeks, but it's been a while. It's so hard to tell with time on this show. God. But he opens up, and she is... I don't think she's changed. She's just kind of doing what she's always done, which is, you know, being comfortable touching people. Not even really giving it a second thought. Like, I don't think... I think she knows that it's something that he is slowly becoming comfortable with and hasn't been comfortable with it before, but it's so much second nature to her that I still don't think she's thinking about it very much. I just think she's doing it, and she's kind of just trusting him to handle it, which is great, because it means she's not treating him like glass. She's not treating him like this thing that will break. She's treating him like a person, and she's like, you know what? I, you're, you're strong enough to take this. I trust that you'll be able to work this out on your own. You don't need me to hold your hand, you know, in any way other than what they did. You know, you don't you don't mean me to, like, make this good for you. You're a strong man. You're a good man. You can do this for yourself. And so she just, she just, she is how she is. But, God, I've talked about this so much. So many people have talked about this so much. He's finding all these little excuses to touch her. And he's not closed off. He's... You know, he's he's clearly able to touch her now, but he's very hesitant. And he also clearly isn't giving it too much thought. He's not overthinking, I think. And, and Daryl is an overthinking little anxious ball of nerves. But he's he's not thinking about it too much. He's kind of just letting himself do it, but he's he's hesitant. He's very clearly working something out. He's figuring out, he's not, it's not that he's, you know, he's worried, I think, that he'll do something that's not okay. I don't think he's afraid of that. But he's like, you know, I can do this. How do I do this? Where, if I want to make somebody feel a certain way, how do I do that? If I want to just kind of, and again, I keep saying these things and they sound sexual, but they're not. If I want to kind of explore somebody's body a little bit, how do I do that? How do I do that effectively? How do I not, you know, oh God, what if I do something wrong? But how do I learn somebody? How do I navigate this? And you don't see it very much at the very beginning because at the beginning he's just handling her foot because he's checking out the extent of the damage and then he's wrapping it up. But then throughout the course of the episode he touches her more and more and, you know, then you get the fucking bridal carry. And when he carries her through the door, he's not scared of anything. He's just doing it. And he is so happy 
to be doing it. He loves that moment. He's so happy in that moment. Oh, fucking God, I'm making myself so sad. And that's wonderful. And I am so sad that we lose that. It was, that Daryl was happy. That Daryl's character was going someplace. You see that, the continuation of that in Consumed, because, yeah, he's kind of, you know, he's not open physically with anybody else, because he, he, he doesn't feel safe with, really, with anybody except Beth. Somewhat with Carol, but not even really in the same way. But then he takes the book, so you see that whatever's going on with him and alone is still continuing. He's still trying to open up. He's, he's still believing that he is able to heal. He is able not just to heal with somebody else, but he's able to heal on his own. He has the courage to do that. And that, I think, is directly a result of the work that he does physically with Beth in Alone. I think that the touch that's going on in there, the importance of that, you cannot possibly play that up too much. And it it makes me so fucking frustrated that people play it down. Because, and and here's here's the, I said that if you really love Daryl, you can't disparage Carol. I mean, you can't. You can't, in canon, love Daryl and think Daryl's cool and then not like Carol because, you know, you might not necessarily like the way she's written. But her as a character, I mean, Daryl loves her. She's important to Daryl. So I'm not going to say that she's not. Even if I didn't really love her as a character, I would still value that relationship. If you love Daryl, I don't think you cannot value what happens with Beth. I don't think you can play that down because it is so clearly so important. And you don't have to think their relationship is romantic to believe that. You don't have to think that their relationship is romantic to look at what happens in Still and Alone and go, for this character, that is such an important time. That is such an important series of moments and what's happening there is so significant. And it makes me so sad that we kind of have lost that. Regardless of whether or not you think Beth is coming back, it's frustrating right now. First of all, it's fucking frustrating, because where is he in this season? Where is he? What the fuck are you doing, show? But it's also frustrating because we just haven't seen that. We saw a little tiny bit of it with Aaron. You know, not that they were getting physical with each other, but he was opening up somewhat to this guy, and they were having spaghetti. But, yeah, he's kind of lost it, and it's real sad. I mean, I obviously hope very much that that will still happen, but right now it's gone, and that's sad. Alright, I'm gonna move on to the next one, because how long have I been fucking talking? I've been talking for 48 minutes. Okay, this might be a little longer than an hour and a half. I'm so sorry. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to get to all of these, but that's cool, because that means I can actually save a couple of them for, for next time and do another little bit of meta, assuming there's nothing else that really needs to be talked about, because who knows what's going to happen in the mid-season finale. We might actually have a lot to discuss, regardless of what happens TD-wise, because this is also kind of a show podcast. So, um, anon- uh, Anonymous wants to know, uh, what do you think was the transition, or what happened and still between the hug and the porch? How did they get there? Did they do something else before settling on the porch? What did you think Daryl thought after he calmed down? What did Beth think? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to save the thinking for next time, because this is just something else I could talk about for fucking an hour. But I've already talked about this for an hour. Um, what happened between the hug and the porch? I, again, I've written about this. Uh, I don't remember what the name of the fic was, but it's in my Footage Not Found series. But what happened between the hug and the porch, I don't think very much happened. What the discussion, the, the conversation that happens on the porch, you know how uh, at the, in 
510, where Rick says, you know, it's been three weeks since Atlanta. I know you lost something back there. That felt to me a lot like that was one of the, in three weeks, that was one of the first times Rick was actually trying to talk to him about this. Uh, somebody else, I forget who, somebody else, when I was talking about this on Tumblr, said, you know, it's entirely possible that that was one of the first times in three weeks that Daryl was even verbal. Because we don't see him speak in nine. And, you know, yeah, he's only in nine at the very end. But he's silent. And I, you know what, I can see him shutting down to the point where he's just not talking to anybody about anything. And maybe a couple times people try to talk to him about Beth and he shuts down so completely that nobody tries to do that again. So it feels to me like in that episode that Rick is is one of the first times he's tried to engage. It's not a it's not a conversation that's been happening. It's you don't say something like that if you've already been talking about it for a while. So it feels to me like the start of a conversation that hasn't been happening. That feels it feels the same to me on the porch. It feels like this is the first time they're really talking. So I think that not very much happened. Um, clearly, it's been a time because I think I would say that it's late afternoon when they have a fight and Daryl breaks down. Uh, and clearly, you know, it's full dark when they're on the porch. I think so. I think um, that it generally seems to be getting on to fall at that point. So the days are probably shorter. I think maybe a couple of hours passed. I don't think they did much. Uh, the way I wrote it was they just kind of sat there, um, or or. Beth sat there and held Daryl. I can see that being what happened. I don't think they felt the need to speak. I think that when when something that intimate happens, it's you don't you just kind of process. You don't really do anything. I don't think that Beth would have felt the need to say anything. I don't think that Beth would have tried to say anything. I think that Beth would have sensed that given how raw Daryl is and given what's just happened, Daryl needs to be somebody maybe should physically be with him, but Daryl just needs to be alone inside his head for the moment, and just kind of process what's happened and work through it. Beth is very perceptive about people's feelings. It's one of the reasons why I think they work so well together. Beth kind of knows what to do with him, even if she's not necessarily consciously thinking, this is an abuse survivor, I need to behave in this way. You know, she she doesn't really know what happened to him. She knows that his background wasn't good. You know, she knows that he didn't have a good relationship with his father. She knows, I think she knows that his parenting was pretty much absent. But she doesn't know what actually happened to him. But she senses that he's wounded. So in that moment, I think she probably just kind of left him alone. Not physically, but she left him alone. And then, you know, they go to the porch, and then they start talking. So not much. But what they were individually thinking is really interesting, and I'll talk about that next time because Daryl fucking thinks so much. So, you know, he was thinking a lot, and Beth was thinking stuff, too. I'm not nearly as good as Beth Meta, at Beth Meta as I'm as Daryl Meta, I think. One of the cool things in Hal that I'm doing right now is I'm actually getting a chance to write from Beth's perspective. It's difficult, to be frank. It's more difficult than writing from Daryl's perspective. It's one of the things that's making that fic difficult. But I like doing it because it means I'm being forced to stretch myself a little bit. Uh, okay, so... Moving on to the last one, I think there's another one about Aaron, but I don't know if I'm really going to have time to talk about Well, maybe. I'm having a good time. If you're bored, skip ahead about 20 minutes, and you'll probably get to the smut. But again, I like I do these twice a month, so I think I can spread myself a little bit. So, Amelina wants uh, me to talk about how Beth is, you know, we all know, know about how Beth is good for Daryl, but how is Daryl good for Beth? And I, I think I actually kind of answer. I've answered a question like that on my blog before, but it's been such a long time, and I'm totally fine talking about things more than once. I, I, 
you know, I basically just did that because I've talked about that stuff before. I just love, I love talking. It's one of the reasons why I like doing this. So why is Daryl good for Beth? I mean, okay, this is, this is another digression. Uh, and this is something that I talked about a good bit when I was writing I'll Be Yours for a song, because some people had some problems, or at least were curious or, or confused by, about what I was doing in the final third of that fic. And one of the things that I both love and don't like about how the ship is talked about and written is that it's not equal. It's egalitarian in terms of power dynamic, if not slanted pretty strongly in Beth's direction. But in a lot of ways, it's not egalitarian, and we don't write it that way. We write it in such a way that Daryl needs Beth, I think, more than Beth needs Daryl. And that's something that some people have been uncomfortable, have actually, you know, come out and said they feel like that in some of my writing and they're uncomfortable with it. And there's a reason why I write about it. I think that it's something that we need to problematize. And it's something that we need to question. Because I don't think that it's necessarily healthy the way we deal with it in a lot of cases. It's not that I don't think that, in fact, Daryl's good for Beth. I just don't think that we talk about it enough. I don't think that we address it enough. And the thing about a relationship is that, yeah, you know, it's it's very romantic when the guy needs the girl. It's very romantic when, you know, she, he looks at her like she's the son and she's everything to him and he'll die without her. And but But that's not healthy. Daryl's, you know... Daryl should be able to go on without Beth. Daryl should be able to have an, an existence that isn't entirely focused around Beth. I don't think that he would necessarily have that right now if she came back. I think that he's still not enough of a, of a whole person. He still has so much healing to do. But ideally, I think he would be able to be on his own. He would be able to exist independently of her. He wouldn't need her in the way that he does now. But he's good for her, too. And here, here is the primary reason why I think he's good for her. And it involves addressing, uh, in a way, I think, I think some stuff that, that people also get wrong when they talk about Beth. And how, you know, there's the whole thing how, you know, he taught her to fight and she taught him to feel. Both of those things are bullshit. I know that people attached to the show, God, I don't remember who said it. I, I don't remember if it was, if it was, it wasn't Emily. I don't remember if it, Norman just says shit. He, he's not always wrong, and I think he knows Daryl pretty well, because he is Daryl. But Norman says shit, and I'm just like, no, Norman, I'm sorry. Like, where he said that when Norman was going to jump out of the car to distract the walkers so Aaron could get away, that he thought he was going to, you know, Daryl thought he was going to survive. No, he didn't. I'm sorry, Norman, you're wrong about your own character. Daryl, Daryl fully knew that was a suicide mission and was okay with it. Or at least okay with it as he is with anything. Yeah, Norman says shit, and I'm just like, no, Norman, I'm sorry, you're just completely wrong. So if he said that, that was a case where Norman says something, and I'm just like, Norman, no, I'm sorry. But yeah, no, he didn't teach her how to fight, and she didn't teach him how to feel. F fuck, nobody, nobody would need to teach Daryl how to feel. Daryl is, is feelings. Daryl is just feelings embodied. He's all feelings. If she taught him how to feel, it's that she taught him how to maybe not be quite so terrified of how he feels. She taught him maybe that how he feels is legitimate and that it's something that he doesn't have to hate. And it's something that he can deal with. It's something that he can address. And it might hurt, but he can do it. It's one of the reasons why I think he picks up the book. He's ready to start confronting his own damage. 
which he hasn't been before, because when he feels something strongly, especially something negative, what he does is he closes off and then he lashes out whenever anybody tries to t actually make contact with him, because, you know, he's starting to assume that he's going to be hurt if anybody tries to engage. So she didn't teach him how to feel. He knew how to feel. And he didn't teach her how to fight, is the thing. She knew how to fight before. We see evidence of that. Uh, after season two, she's running around with a gun. She's, she has a gun. It's not necessarily the case that she's awesome with a gun. It's not necessarily the case that, you know, she's a, she's a, an amazing shot, like we do see that she is at the beginning of episode, at the beginning of five. You know, she's a ridiculously good shot at the very end of Slabtown. So, you know, she's, yeah, she's not like, she's not like amazing, but necessarily, but she knows how to fight. They all know how to fight. They have to know how to fight. One thing that is true, I think, about the zombie apocalypse, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily true that you have to be like a cold-blooded killing machine to survive in the zombie apocalypse. I don't think the show is saying that. You know, people say that the show is, is actually saying that, is actually buying into that. No, I don't think the show is saying that. I think the show is saying the exact fucking opposite thing of that. She can fight. And you see that. And I, I, knowing how to fight is something that you do need to know. You don't necessarily have to be a cold-blooded person, but you need to know how to fight. And if she didn't know how to fight, I don't think she would have survived eventually. I think she, you know, yeah, you can't make it unless you know how to fight, at least some. So Beth knows how to do that. And Beth is strong. And, and that's something, too. Like, Daryl doesn't make her strong. She, she is strong to begin with. And you see that in every meaningful way. You see that, you see it in season two with 18 miles out and then you see it in season three when she's taking care of judith and she's kind of basically handling shit in a lot of ways she is one of the people who is holding that place together and people don't appreciate that but it's true and then in season four you see how strong she is and then in season five you see how strong she is until she gets shot in the head so she's always been strong she's always known how to fight but I don't think, here's the thing, I don't think she actually necessarily knows that consciously. I think on some level, yeah, she's aware of it. But I don't think it's something that she really explicitly knows. Because sometimes, you know, it's kind of like with Daryl, I think. It's like with anybody. We, we don't have the perspective that we need in order to really know ourselves. And it's the people that we love who end up teaching us about ourselves. It's the people that we love who give us the insight that we need to really understand ourselves in a way that allows us to grow and to become deeper people and to become whole people in a way. It's one of the reasons why, why loving people and why contact with other people and why, and, and why family, whatever kind of family that you have, you know, blood or maid, why that's so important. We can't be whole people unless we know ourselves, and we can't know ourselves without other people. So she's strong. She knows how to fight. I don't think she really knows that, though, in the way that she does when she says, I am strong in, in 5A. So I think that what Daryl really teaches her, partly through her being with him and her taking care of him, because that's what she does. She takes care of people, and she takes care of Daryl. I think that what he what he does for her is he shows her those things. He doesn't put something there that was already there, but he I think he helps her to see it in a way that she didn't before. He helps her to under, understand her own strength. He helps her to appreciate her own strength. She is always a survivor. But I think that being with him, she starts to really understand it in a way that she didn't before. And I think that that's, that's not the only thing that he does for her. I mean, she, she also, just like I don't think he would have done very well out there on his own 
after the prison. You know, I don't, it's not that she's weak, and it's not that she would have died, but I don't think she would have done well either. I don't think she would have done well psychologically or emotionally. She needs people. She loves people. She needs to be around people. It's kind of part of who she is. So Daryl provides her human contact and human connection in a way that helps her after the prison. And he does that in the way that he does because, yeah, he's prickly, and yeah, he hurts her. But he's also such a deeply kind man. Like, he's he's got this kindness and gentleness about him that she brings out, but I think that also is good for her to be around. It's not just that she brings it out, it's that he, he is a good person for her to be with. He's just, she brings out some of the best in him. I think he brings out some of the best in her. So he shows her that she's this person, and he shows her that she can do this. And that means that when she splits off from him, and she's by herself and Grady, she knows it in a way that allows her to survive, not just to survive, but to thrive in that environment and to really, you know, grab for her own agency and take control of it in a way that I don't know that she would have been able to do otherwise. It's not that I think that she would have been a failure at Grady. It's not that I think she, you know, would have been this weak little person and she would never have made it. But she can really do what she does in Grady because she was with Daryl and Daryl showed her. And... That's another thing where, you know, I'm sad we didn't get to see more of that because I think that was so important. And frankly, I think that was really well written. There is so much about that. People are so down on the writers on this show. And yeah, I understand why. And I'm not pleased either with what's been happening at 5B and what's been happening at 6A. I like 6A okay. I don't think it's a bad beginning to the season. But I think there are a lot of weaknesses. And it's distracting to me because I think these are actually very good writers. I just think that even very good writers, when they've put themselves in bad places, which I think has happened here, struggle. I like to think that I'm a very good writer. I've written some bad shit because I got myself into a place where I just wasn't working with good material anymore. And, you know, you can slog along and you can do okay, but if you haven't given yourself a strong foundation from which to work, and I don't think that they have a strong foundation anymore, I think they've got a kind of a weak, shaky foundation, what you produce is not going to be as good. So that these are not bad writers, I believe. These are, ba- these are very good writers who are kind of in a bad place. I think they can get themselves out of it. But anyway, I, they're... they're there were such strong moments in 5, and particularly in 5A. And I wish we'd seen more of that. But, you know, TD for life. Yeah. Okay. All right, I am going to do the last one. Oh, what what time are we at now? We're actually... Okay, we're a little bit over an hour. This isn't too bad. I think I'm actually going to come in right about where I want to. Uh, last one. Uh, I really love Aaron, and I don't know why, but I, this is from Honeystock. I really love Aaron, and I don't know why, but I do enjoy his relationship with Daryl, and I know you like him, too. I was just curious what you love about him. Oh my god, Aaron. Oh my god, okay. Um, why do I like Aaron? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, how can you fucking not? Look at him. Look at his face. He's just the best. He's so cute and wonderful. And he's, he's a sweetheart. He's a sweetheart on a show that's a little bit short on sweethearts right now. He's a true spirit. He's, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons why he's out there looking for people, and it's one of the reasons why he is, why he is the way he is with Daryl, and it's one of the reasons why he's like Beth. Uh, he's very perceptive. He looks at somebody and he understands them. You know, not maybe necessarily in depth, but he can look at somebody and he can know okay, here is how I should be because I know what this person needs. And you see it because of what he does with Daryl. Because he, when Daryl first gets to the zone, he is 
he is what Daryl needs more than anything. This guy who is not judgmental, who will not look at Daryl and go, you know, you're weird, you're scary, I don't understand you, so I'm just not going to do anything with you. I'm not necessarily going to shun you, but I'm going to keep my distance. He doesn't do that. You know, he's very open, he's very unjudgmental, but he also isn't pushy. Not in a really oppressive way. He's pushy kind of in the way that Beth would be, I think, in the sense of, no, I'm not going to leave you alone. You know, I'm not going to be obnoxious, but I'm not going to leave you alone. You are you are a person who is worthy of my attention. And you are a person who is worthy of my effort. You're worthy of me reaching out to you. You're, you're a human being who has value, who has something to offer, who has something to offer me. Not just in general, but me. I want to talk to you. I want to be around you. I, you know, it's not necessarily like, I like you, but he's like, come have dinner. By the way, like, that is another thing about this show where they kind of stick some Christ-like stuff in there. Because Daryl's the kind of guy that nobody wanted to talk to in the Gospels, but Daryl's the kind of guy that Jesus would be like, come to dinner. Let's talk. So Aaron does that. Um, and I love that about, I love that about Aaron. Aaron is a deeply good person, and I value deeply good people. And that's not that I consider myself a deeply good person. I'm not like Aaron at all. I'm the kind of person who would be, you know, oh, God, you're weird. Go away with Dar- with, with Daryl. Like, you're really good looking, but no. I don't have any idea what to say to you. Don't come to dinner. But he tells him to come to dinner. And, you know, then Daryl's super fucking awkward and doesn't know how to do or how to be. And Aaron's just looking at Eric. And they're like, he's so cute. Can we keep him? And it's the best thing in the entire fucking world. And why haven't we been getting of that in this season? Oh, God, that's one of the things that's just been frustrating me so much. Why are they apart? I want them to just be together forever in, in the back half of this season. Ugh, it's awful. Why would you set something up like that show and then not follow through and have it all the time? Like, why would you set something up that, that's, that's, that is that wonderful and then just never do anything else with it? It's frustrating. Anyway, so Aaron, I love him because of that. I love him because he is, he's not just perceptive, but he's kind. And he is, he wants, he looks for good people. He believes in good people. And he sees the goodness in people even when those people are not being good. He sees the goodness in people even when those people are not at their best. Because, you know, there's that relationship when, not that there's that exchange when he's tied up in the barn and Rick is there with Judith. And Rick is just, you know, Rick is, Rick has crazy eyes. Rick is a beard, like, you know, a guy who's been wandering in the wilderness because he's been wandering in the wilderness. He's been leading, he's, he's this biblical patriarch, not in a good way. He's been leading his people through the wilderness for forever and has not had any kind of real direction and is kind of starting to lose it in a real serious way. And everybody kind of knows it, but they're following him because what else are they going to do? So he is not at his best. He does have Judith. And I think that Judith brings out goodness in him. Because, yeah, this is his daughter. Rick, I think, is just this scary motherfucker right now. It's one of the things I said about last night. You know, that the, the, the guy was like, you know, when I met you, you were scary. You scared me. You had this beard, and it was weird. And, and Rick is like, yeah, I'm totally not like that anymore. I'm totally well-adjusted now, and I'm not going to be scary anymore. And he doesn't buy it. Rick knows he's still scary inside. But Rick isn't, like, Rick is not governor level yet. Rick is not damned. And 
he's he's hit Aaron. Aaron has no reason to like or trust him. Aaron is clearly still wary. But Aaron's also like not going to back off. I'm not going to not talk to you. You're a human being. I think there's goodness in you. I'm going to I've seen it. I've been watching you. You lead your people like you care about them. You're not just this animal. You're still trying to hold on to something. So I think there's something valuable in you. I think you have something to offer. I'm going to try and engage with you. And yeah, you're terrifying. And I really think you might hurt me. You have already. But I'm still going to try. Because I still think that we can we can do something here. And there are only a few other characters on the show who would ever do that. Beth is one of them. And I like, so I like him for a lot of the reasons why that I really like Beth. He's a good character on a show that I think really values good characters and wants them to survive, even though it kills them right and left. I, I swear to God, guys, I really believe this. And really shows that in him. It's just he hasn't been there enough. So you see it with him then. You see it with him with how he is with a lot of the other characters. And then you see it with so much with Daryl. And... I want more of that, and we haven't been getting it this season. I keep coming back to this season and talking about this season, but it's really frustrating me, and last night it was really frustrating me especially. And so he is what I want to see more of, and I still think the show will do that. I, I, think, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more of him in the back half. He's still been, He's been important in a couple of points, the show has kind of made it clear that he still has a job to do, but we haven't seen enough of him. But that's why I love him. I love him because I think that he's here to do... He's he's doing something important on the show. It's just that we haven't seen enough of him. I keep saying... And I, I say this not just because, you know, I'm on the team, but I also say this because I still like this show. I still like these writers. And until they really, really give me a reason to think that they don't know anything about what they're doing. And they haven't done that yet. I know that a lot of people have given up. I know that a lot of people are frustrated to the point where they don't have any faith in them. I have faith in them. I have faith in them to turn this around. I still think that it's not necessarily even been a bad season. I just think it's been a season with a lot of problems. And Aaron is one of the things that gives me hope for these writers. Because, first of all, they can still write. You know, they can do stuff that's still good. They absolutely can. When they have a good foundation to work from. Like any writer. Even a very, very good writer won't do well if they don't have a good foundation. But also he gives me hope because something I keep saying over and over and over again about stories is we have to be asking ourselves, what kind of story is this? And when we get to moments that are very frustrating and where we, we just think that, oh God, you know, I hate this and this isn't good and this isn't going anywhere and why am I still even here? And, you know, yeah, if you're not having really having fun anymore and you don't see any prospect on the horizon that you ever will, probably you should just stop watching and go watch something else or come back to the show when it appears that the show is better. But Aaron is one of the things that still gives me hope that this show, A, is still a good show overall in aggregate, if you if you average things out, this show is still a good show. It's an okay show. But Aaron also gives me hope for the future because I don't think that they're writing somebody like that just to throw them away. People keep saying over and over again that no screen time is wasted on this show. I think that's bullshit. I think they waste screen time right and left. I think they don't think they're wasting screen time, but I think they do. But somebody like Aaron, who I think they put a lot of care and thought into, 
even if he hasn't been in this season very much, I think they're trying to do too much this season. I think that's one of the problems with do, do too much with too many people. But I don't think that he would be there if they didn't intend to do some stuff. He is the kind of character that I can see them kind of killing out of nowhere. But I think he's there for a reason. And that he's there at all makes me hopeful, in general, about, you know, the back half of the season, but also about seven. You know, and whatever comes after that, I, I have hope. I, if you don't have hope, what's the point of living? So I do. Aaron, I love Aaron because I think he's sweet. I love Aaron because I think he's interesting. And I love Aaron because he makes me hopeful about the show in general. All right, uh, that's everything I've got for now. Uh, I will talk at the next episode about the actual thought process of Beth and Daryl post-collapse and still. This was fun. I, I love doing meta. I don't necessarily have to devote an hour and a half to it every episode, but if you want me to keep doing it, I will keep doing it. You just gotta send me meta. Uh, because, you know, yeah, I've got stuff I want to talk about, and I might pull that stuff out, but really I want to talk about stuff people want me want to hear me talk about. So, yeah, please send me more of that, and I'll devote, like, some time to it. So, yeah, we're gonna go ahead and get to the reading. I want, again, to stress that this is smut. It's not wall-to-wall smut, but it's smut. I also want to say, and this is kind of funny, uh, this is a direct sequel to the one I read last week, uh, I mean, last episode, um, which was uh, Evelina's Seconds. This is ours. And I actually, this is what's really hilarious. I I said last episode that I was going to read it, probably. And I I kind of made a commitment to myself to read it. I was like, all right, you know, I don't really want to read multi-chapter stuff, but this was a really wonderful fic. And I kind of, I mean, I think it would be worth reading what happens next. But here's the thing. I hadn't read it. Part of the reason why I wanted to do a reading of it was because I was like, okay, you know, now, you know, now I will make myself sit down and read it because my to-be-read list is obscene. There is so much stuff that I know is good. There is so much stuff that it's not that I'm not reading it because I don't think it's worth my time. But again, it's kind of a how I divide up my time thing. It's like, okay, I can do the podcast, I can write how, I can do other things, or I can read fic. And yeah, I like reading, but to be perfectly frank, I like creating more, or I find it easier to do. So when I have to choose, generally I'm going to pick creating as opposed to consuming. So I hadn't read it. I didn't even know that it was smut. So I was like, I I looked at it, I I skimmed it in preparation for reading it, and I was like, shit. Um, okay, I can follow through on what I said in the first episode and not read smut for right now. Or you know what, I can just cave, and I can dive right in, and we'll do it in episode two, even though I said probably not in episode one. And I mean, one of the reasons why I said that I was going to do it sight unseen is because this is an author that I trust. I just, they write something, and I'm like, all right, this is going to be good. I don't even need to see it. I just know. And I was right. I mean, this is a really wonderful fic. It's, you know, it's 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 just something I said I wasn't necessarily going to do. But I love that I picked it. I really hope you enjoy it. It's wonderful. I had a lot of fun reading it. I had fun reading it to the point where I'm going to do smut again. Maybe not next episode, but I'm going to, actually, next episode I'm going to be reading one of mine. Uh, because somebody specifically asked for it. And it's not smut. But I will definitely be doing Smut again, and we'll see how explicit I get. So yeah, this is the sequel to Seconds. This is ours. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Ours. 
by Abelina. He's sure he's dreaming. Same as it always is in the hours she's been gone. Hours that stretch on into larger blocks of time he can't even consider. He has been here before, those rare times he's given in and slept in this bed. She ain't ever far from his mind, but she's closest at night. Closer when he relaxes enough to fall into the sort of deep sleep that lets her in. When everything's quiet in the wee hours of morning before he wakes, before reality crashes in to fill his days with an emptiness that tastes of gunpowder and ashes, that's when he feels her the most. Even asleep, he knows the danger in this, in indulging the fantasy, because it's only going to make the truth sting that much more when he wakes, make it burn that much deeper. But he digs into it anyway, presses his face into the back of her warm neck, pulls her body closer, feels the steady beat of her heart beneath his palm, and wonders if it would have been like this, if they would have fit like this, two pieces of a puzzle here in the place where reality don't reach, if they only had the time to find out. She feels so fucking good he can't bear to open his eyes and face the truth that awaits him. She makes a little noise. Soft like water lapping at the banks of a stream, and he wants to fall into it and never come up for air. He presses closer, breathes deep. A scent of... She smells terrible. Dirt and decay and layers of sweat, blood and pine sap, and something vaguely skunk-like. The unmistakable rink of unwashed human he knows all too well. His next breath shakes on the way in, and it's still there. It hasn't gone away, that stink that permeates everything now that he's aware of it. Daryl doesn't pretend to know much. These days, it seems, what he does know dwindles down by the hour the more time he spends away. He spends lingering in the depths of his own head where he can almost remember the shape of her smile, the sound of her voice. But he knows this. Knows it better than he wants to know it. When he dreams of Beth, she smells of grape jelly and peanut butter, candle wax and a hint of matches, moonshine and smoke. If music, if pianos and the lilt of her voice had a scent, she'd smell like that too. Something like fresh linen in the woods after a summer rainstorm. But she never smells like this. He knows what he remembers. The part of the dream that happened before this, where she came to him in the middle of the night, like a little ghost flitting onto the porch and deciding to stay. Her words, her story of survival, he remembers that too, and it's both painfully real and too fucking unlikely, but that smell, Christ, that smell is real. It's God fucking awful, but he can't stop breathing it in, pressing his whole face into the back of a grimy neck that can't possibly exist on the same plane as he. He's going to open his eyes and she'll be gone. She'll be just as dead as she was when he fell asleep. She won't have come back to him after all. And this is just the newest level of low his brain is struck. Serves him right for giving in, for lying down in comfort when Beth Green ain't ever going to rest in peace. Another little moan, a mumbled word, and then... Daryl? Her voice is sleepy and thick, and not at all the sweet lyric he's expecting. The way even her words sound a song when they ring around his brain. He holds her tighter, squeezing his eyes shut until they hurt, until his whole face distorts with it. She's moving, turning over, wriggling around the way the ghost never does. Not the fluid motions of the ethereal woman in his head, but the uncoordinated flopping of something, somebody, with elbows that land in stomachs and knees that come dangerously close to where he's hard and aching in his jeans. Her breath is as bad as the rest of her, but he breathes that in too. 
lets it wash over his face like it were the sweetest of breezes, a meadow full of wildflowers and all shades of yellow, fragrant on a summer's night. But he can't, he won't, open his eyes. The moment he does, she'll be gone. Daryl. Less sleepy this time, more insistent. More Beth, and he doesn't know how much more of this he can take. Fingertips on his face, marking a path along the bridge of his nose, across his brow, swiping over his cheekbones and down along his jaw. Sharp little nails, scratching divinely through the scruff on his chin. His little ghosts don't play fair, and before he can stop himself, he flattens his palm at her lower back and presses his erection into her stomach and shudders when her breathy little whimper floats through the sliver of space between him. His eyes pop open. He doesn't mean to let them, but... But... Beth. She's still there. Hair in tangles. Angry pink scars across her forehead and cheek. So much dirt on her face, she's at least three shades darker than she ought to be. And the stench of her... Christ, she's a fucking mess, but she's... She's... He can't say it. Not even in his head. Can only gaze at her through the haze of tears as it sinks in, trickling slow like molasses. The Saint No Dream and Beth. Beth is here. She's here, still touching his face, her blue eyes so wide as she gazes back at him. You feel awake to me, she says, just like she did last night on the porch, and that's all it takes. He buries his face into her neck and cries like a fucking baby, cries like he cried that day, that day he ain't ever gonna forget, no matter that she's back, but she's back, she's here. And he doesn't care that he's crying. doesn't care that he's soaking both of them in the pillow and everything else with a flood of tears. The only thing that matters is Beth and her arms holding him to her, her fingers stroking slow, slow, slow through his hair, her sweet voice singing softly, something like a lullaby as he weeps. feels like hours before he can breathe without sobbing, and his head aches, his throat aches, everything aches, but it's the sweetest ache he ever knew. When he pulls his face from her stinky, sweaty neck, her thumbs come up to swipe the remnants of the tears away, and he sees the tracks of hers making furrows in the dirt on her face. I'm sorry. She presses her fingertips to his lips to silence his apology, shaking her head as she does so. No, Daryl. No. So he doesn't say it. Not again. Though every cell in his body feels it. Sorry for breaking down like this. Sorry for everything he did and everything he didn't do, for all she went through and everything still to come. He already knew she was strong, and her death never changed that knowledge in his heart, but the kind of strength it took getting here, to come back from the dead, back to herself, back to him, all the way from Georgia on her own. That, he don't have the words for it. He can't even see where it ends, the strength she carries inside, and never will. For a long time they lie together on this little bed, this bed that's technically his, the one given to her to use in his absence, the one they spent the night in together like they were always meant to, all along. The bed that shifted from mine to hers to ours in his head. There's just enough space between them on the pillow to see her clearly, her one blue eye open wide while the others have squished into the foam beneath her. Her fingers touch his face, and his touch hers, and he never wants to leave this little nest of pillows and sheets. She really does stink, though. Only when she giggles does he realize he says that out loud, but after a split second in which his heart constricts like it's being squeezed in somebody's fist, he sees she ain't mad, and he laughs, too. The sound is bizarre from his lips, rusty and unused, 
but he feels it like a helium balloon in his chest, a weight lifting a bit at a time from shoulders more burdened than he cares to notice. I'm sure it's terrible, she says, wrinkling her nose up as her eyes drift to the dirt caked beneath her fingernails, ground into every wrinkle and pore in her skin. Got a shower, he says, wondering why nobody thought to avail her of it yesterday. Hot water and everything. He doesn't imagine the way her eyes brighten at that, but he's sure he is imagining things seconds later when she slides her hand into his and says, Come with me? But no, he isn't. Not then, as she says the words, a splash of pink barely visible through the dirt on her cheeks. Not after, when he's nodding at her, yes, he'll go with her. The house is still, and it's barely light outside as he and Beth leave their room to head for the upstairs bathroom. He notes with some degree of pride how little noise she makes. She might not be a ghost, not anymore, but she's silent as one as they ascend the stairs and tread down the hallway, past the closed doors where the rest of the household sleeps. They don't bother with the lights in the bathroom. There's enough, even this early in the day, coming through the window to brighten the space so they can see. Daryl shuts the door behind them, and a beat passes, a breath of air that catches in his chest, a pulse of anticipation, and then Beth's shedding her clothes, one stiff, filthy layer at a time. If it bothers her, the thought of undressing in front of him, she doesn't show it. And before she's halfway done, Daryl starts to pull his own layers off, too, allowing them to fall to the floor in a pile with hers. He doesn't know whether she's aware of the scars already, or if this will be her introduction to them, but for the first time in his life their presence at his back ceases to matter. Well, it matters, it does, and he knows Beth would say so, but Beth matters more. And maybe not all of her scars are as visible, but he knows they run deep. They're both marked now, and he can't be ashamed. You got out. So did she. His shirt comes off as easy as the rest of it, and then it's just him and her and a foot and a half of space between them. Beneath the clothing, she's just as dirty, bruised and scraped all over. Beth was always slight, but she's skinny now, every rib visible, hip bones jutting out like sharp-edged scoops. But there's muscle there, too, in her arms, her shoulders, her legs. Strength. She's lean, but she ain't wasting away, no matter that she fought her way here from Atlanta. Woman's a fucking survivor in more ways than he can count. It's difficult to pull his gaze from her, but he does, brushing past her to turn the water on. He twists the knob as hot as it'll go, and already the steam starts to rise around them. In all his time here, he's never come close to using his allotment of hot water, so he figures he can be greedy, even just this once. He takes her hand to guide her in, and after a couple of seconds, she steps beneath the spray. It's hot, but not scalding, and he feels it in little speckles on his chest as he stands behind her, while she lets the water course over her, eyes shut, face tipped up into the steam of it. He watches her, sees the bliss on her face, sees the way the fur of her brow finally smooths out, and his heart beats a little faster behind his ribs at the sight of her. When she steps backward, he's not expecting it, but the length of her body fits once again like a puzzle piece against his, and before he can think, he drops his face into her shoulder, wraps his arms around her middle. She's trembling, just a little, but she lays her arms over top of his and presses in hard, goes unresisting when he steps with both of them forward beneath the spray of water. They stand like this for a long time, Hours could pass, and he wouldn't tire of holding her, of the water-warmed heat of her, of the slick slide of her back against his chest as she takes deep, steady breaths. He's hard, and he knows she feels it. He ain't trying to hide it, even if he thought he could, but there's nothing urgent in it. It's there. It's hers. And that's all it's gotta be. 
The water won't last forever, even though he plans on using the entire household's ration for today. He unwinds one arm from around her middle and reaches for the bottles stacked in a row on the little shelf built into the shower wall. None of them face outward, so he must turn them all until he finds the one he wants, and it's some sort of floral-scented thing he thinks Carl uses because that girl likes it or whatever, but he figures it'll suit Beth well enough. He never washed nobody's hair before except for his own. But then he never took a shower with a woman before either, and he's doing that well enough. Beth knows what he's up to, and she doesn't bother attempting to untangle the band from her hair, just pulls until it snaps and lets it fall to the floor of the shower. Amidst the sticks and dirt and blood and sap and debris are a single tiny braid and about a million tangles. She'll probably need to cut it, or maybe he'll spend a couple hours untangling it for her so she don't have to, working each of them free so her hair can fall smooth and golden down her back. As it does in his dreams, though he wouldn't trade one for the other. He's already decided he's gonna if she wants him to, no matter how long it takes to do it. The shampoo is purple and thick and shimmery as he squirts it into his palm. Beth tips her head back and lets out a low sound in her throat as he starts working it into her hair. It takes a bit to get down to her scalp, through all the tangles and crap she's got caught there. And he wants to scratch it like he's sure she needs, sure she wants, but he can't. Not until his fingers find the place, the little pucker where her hair don't grow, a soft little pit in the firmness of her skull. Exit, his brain provides, where the bullet came out, but Beth stayed in. And he both loves that scar and wants to bury it, fill it in, cover it over, until it ceases to exist. Beth does exist, though. And after a moment of letting him touch, she gently nudges his fingers with the top of her head. He does what he wanted to do all along, scratches his nails into her scalp while working the fragrant suds in. And that little noise Beth makes rises up above the pattern of the water against the tub. Starts as a low rumbling he's not certain how she could possibly be making and something flutters in his belly in response. It rises, a crescendo that breaks as she moans long and loud, and he imagines other ways he might coax her into making those noises. But like the erection trap between them, the daydreams make no attempt to take hold. He lets them roll in on the background while he tends to Beth. The rest of her hair hangs down her back in a dark blonde clump still clinging to the shape of her ponytail. His fingers catch as he works the shampoo in, and no matter how careful he tries to be, he knows it pulls knows it hurts with every little grunt she makes. But she reaches back, glides her thumb in little circles on the outside of his thigh, and he keeps on trying to be gentle. And she keeps on being strong. It takes four more repetitions before the suds stay white, before he's scrubbed and rubbed and worked out all the dirt that's going to go. Her scalp shines pink and clean through where her hair parts in a jagged line at the top of her head, and he's just starting to eye up that bar of soap when Beth reaches for another bottle from the shelf. Says conditioner on it, and he knows the women use it, don't know what for, but he figures it out good and quick when he's got the stuff worked in, and the strands of hair glide between his fingers instead of always catching and pulling. Beth pushes the two of them back out of the spray, leans her slippery head against his shoulder, and tips up until he can see her eyes, hovering half open as she gazes at him. Gotta let it sit, she says, in a soft little voice that almost sounds sleepy. Let me wash yours? Wasn't expecting that, but... At the same time, feels as though she was always going to ask. All right, Beth. She doesn't pick the flowery one. Reaches instead for a dark-colored bottle and pulls gently out of his arms. Turns, takes him by the shoulders, and guides him beneath the water. He tips his head back, gets his hair good and wet for her. 
hears the click of the bottle opening, and a vaguely spicy scent wafts up to him on the steam. Then Beth's arms form brackets on either side of his head as her fingers work the shampoo into his hair. He groans, like she did, tips his head forward so she can reach better. She's close, though, close enough that no matter how she stands, his erection brushes against her belly. He feels it, and sees it as he cracks his eyes open, looks down at the lack of space between them, lack of clothing, the two pairs of naked feet standing together amongst the suds. Her nails are like magic on his scalp, and much like she did, he doesn't hold back the sounds that want out in response as she washes his hair. It's the other things, too, making him moan. The slide of her belly on his cock, the points of her nipples on his chest whenever she leans closer. He'd be lying if he tried to say he wasn't thinking about all of that, and it still ain't urgent, but it sure as hell feels good having her here. So much of her touching so much of him, and warmth like the steam curls in his belly. When she finishes with him, Beth rinses her hair and he helps her do it, noting again how that conditioner stuff helped with the tangles. And that's good, real good, but what's better is the little smile Beth wears as he combs his fingers through her hair. The bar of soap on the shelf behind her draws his eyes again. A lot of the dirt came off her from all the hair washing, but she's far from clean, and he's preparing to place the bar into her hands when Beth reaches for it instead and slips it into his. He's a little light-headed as she looks at him with those wide-open eyes and whispers, Please, Daryl? She could do it herself, but this ain't about that. She can take care of herself, but maybe she don't always have to. Maybe she wants to know that, wants to feel it, that she can have this too if she needs it. He ain't ever done this either, but when the first swipe of his soapy thumbs through the dirt on her face makes her little smile stretch wider, he knows that don't matter. He cleans the dirt from her face, watching as the smile slides from wide into blissful, sighing with her when she tosses her head back so his fingers can scrub away the sweat and grime from her neck. Her skin shines clean and pink when he's done, and Beth turns around, once again fitting herself against him back to front. Daryl tucks his face into her hair, into her freshly cleaned neck so he can wash the rest of her. Despite the grit, the scratches, the scars he sure weren't there before, Beth's skin is amazingly smooth and warm beneath his palms. He slides them down her arms, over the taut muscles gathered there. The strength of her hums into his skin, and he wonders if it had been him left behind, left for dead. Would he have made it? Would he be standing here now? His fingers glide between hers, slick, soapy digits moving together to clean away the dirt, and Beth lets out a little giggle. Soft, barely any weight to it at all, but the sound echoes in the confines of the shower, is picked up by the steam and amplified till his ears are full of it. A little sound of delight, laced with something else altogether, which rushes another surge of blood south to his cock. Now he's hard as fuck and kind of dizzy, but it's okay. It's good. And he suspects she ain't so immune to this either, as she giggles softly again and turns her head to lay it against his shoulder. When her hands are clean, he retraces his motions back up her arm, swirling through the suds to rinse her clean until he reaches her shoulders. Beth breathes deep as he traces her collarbones, first with the soap, then again with his fingers, starts letting it out in shuddering little puffs as he slides his hands down to cover her breasts, the little swells of them fitting perfectly into his palms. Her nipples pull even tighter beneath his touch, and she whispers his name and arches her back. Beth, he answers, tucking his face into her shoulder again as he touches her, 
taking the invitation as he knows she intends, flicking his thumbs gently over the hardened points, and fights the urge to press his cock against her ass, even though she's doing a good job of pushing herself back into him. Still ain't about that, no matter how he's touching her, how she wants him to touch her. She whimpers a little, though, when he moves on, and there's a trembling in her belly beneath his hands as he washes her there, too, circling lower and lower until his fingertips graze the border of her curls. He only realizes he's closed his eyes when they pop open, and he can't even hear the shower anymore. Just Beth's deep breaths. Daryl stares down at his hands and where they sit, sees the way her chest rises and falls, watches as she slides her legs apart and pushes his hand between them. Even with the soap, he can feel how wet she is. As wet as he is hard, and it hits him now, finally, the need for her that's been hovering just beyond the curtain. He wants to press her up against the wall of the shower and slide into her from behind, into that slick heat coating his fingers. But he doesn't, because he might want her with a level of desperation he's never felt before. But he hasn't quite lost all of his self-control. Beth's little sigh holds a note of laughter to it, like she knows what he's thinking but it's enough to pull him back from that edge, just a little. He's meant to be washing her, and he does, soapy fingers mixing with the wetness of her as he slides them around. Beth makes little gasping sounds as he washes, as he touches and explores her with gentle fingertips, and she's already trembling long before his thumb glides over her clit. She says, sound mostly breath. Daryl pulls his face from her shoulder slides the point of his nose up along her neck until his lips hover just behind her ear. Tell me what you want, Beth. The way she whimpers makes him think she wants a lot of things, but she turns her head so her face tucks up into his neck and says, Just for a minute, it feels so good, Daryl. They're dealing with a limited amount of time, and already the water is noticeably cooler than when they started. Beth knows that, even though she asks, and he's not going to waste time by denying her. This ain't something he's practiced at, but he suspects he doesn't need to be. Beth arches her back, pushes herself into his touch, and gasps again when he repeats the same gliding pass of his thumb across the swollen nub of her clit. He makes a circle, and she moans softly into his neck, and they both shiver. Like that? he asks. Harder, she whispers, sliding her hand over top of his and pushing down, making herself shudder in the process. Not gonna break me. He does push against her ass this time, the gravel in her voice taking him by surprise. Can't help it. But through his rapid spiral into lightheadedness, he knows she doesn't mind. Knows the desperation he feels isn't at all one-sided. And he makes another circle, harder like she showed him. Beth whimpers and reaches back to grip his thigh, nails digging in a little bit more with each pass he makes. She's unbelievably wet and so fucking hot he had no idea. And he's done this before, technically done things, but this feels like the first fucking time. First time that matters, even if all he does for the rest of his life is touch her like this. Draw out of her those little sighs. A different type of music, but it strikes up an orchestra in his chest. The soundtrack he's never going to tire of hearing, of feeling. Beth's breath washes over his neck, and he feels it more tangibly than the steam, than the water around them. It isn't long before she lets out a moan so deep he feels it rising up from her belly beneath his palm, long before it swells out into the air around them, and then she's biting at his neck, teeth sinking in as her body gives a hard shudder and doesn't stop. Though it's muffled into his neck, the song she sings as she comes is the sweetest sound he's ever heard.
When her body stops shaking, Beth collapses back against him, melting further into his arms. Daryl presses a kiss into her hair, tightens his arms around her as she breathes out his name, just holds her for a long time beneath the slowly cooling water. It's some time before Beth speaks, first whispering his name again, then nudging at his neck with the point of her nose. Come on, she says. He finishes washing her, front and back, getting to his knees on the floor of the shower to scrub the dirt from her feet as she leans back against the wall, a sleepy grin stretched across her face. He's not surprised when she wants to wash him, too, even though her fingers shake and he can see she's exhausted. He stops her, though Christ, he doesn't want to, when those same shaky fingers close around his cock. Later, he says to her, because, yeah, he wants that. Wants it if she does. But she's fading, he can see it, in the wilt of her shoulders, the tremble in her legs, the droop of her eyes. Woman needs a nap, a hell of a lot more than he needs to get off, and she nods her understanding at him. After a couple of slow strokes, which nonetheless leave him shaking and breathless, she releases him, and they rinse away the remnants of soap, just as the last of the warmth bleeds out of the water. They've been in there a while, but it's still early. Sun's up in earnest now, though, and the bathroom is bright, the white of it near glowing. Beth glows, too, freshly scrubbed skin still pink, and she's exhausted and beautiful, and after they both brush their teeth, he wraps her up in the fluffiest towel he can find, scoops her into his arms, and carries her back to bed. Beth lays her head on his chest and sighs sleepily. doesn't occur to him until he's halfway down the stairs that he's still naked, that he hasn't even bothered with the towel, and he prays to whatever deity might be listening that nobody else in the house is awake. But he reaches their room undetected, shuts the door on the world for a second time, sets Beth down on top of the quilt, on the clean side, and leaves her there just long enough to pull a spare blanket from the closet. She's already dropped the towel to the floor by the time he returns, and he drapes the blanket over her and slides under it too, gathering her to his chest even as she wiggles back against him. Sleep, he says to her, pressing his face into her neck and breathing her in again, clean and soapy, and Beth. Sleep. And she does. So endeth episode two. If you enjoyed it, I had a good time. I'm kind of sorry it ended up being so long, except again, you know, people seem to really have a good time with the first one, so maybe it's not such a bad thing. If this is too long for you, though, if I have pushed things a little too far, please tell me. Because, uh, once more, I, this is still something that I'm figuring out. What do people want? What works? What doesn't? What should I be doing? What should I not be doing? Please give me feedback. Please let me know. So I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to be doing for episode three, but as of right now, I will be doing episode three. This is something I'm going to keep doing. And I really want to give a shout out specifically to the music that I used in this episode. Uh, it's all dust motes. Love a lot of the free music music that I use. I mean, obviously, I love all of it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be using it. Uh, you can find the music that I use at freemusicarchive, all one word, dot org. And one of the best artists that I've discovered, or one of my favorite artists that I've discovered, is Dust Motes, all in word. So all of the music in this episode is them. I hope you enjoyed it. 
you're gonna be hearing more of them. I've used them before. And uh, yeah, if you if you want some awesome weird music that you probably wouldn't hear anywhere else, go to and there's all kinds of genres. Go to Free Music Archive. Wonderful resource, especially if you're the kind of creator who uses music and stuff. Free. All you have to do is attribute. Don't actually have to pay. Wonderful. So yes, I am done. Once again, give me your feedback. Uh, go to our website, keepsingingpodcast.wordpress.com. Check out our lists of thick wrecks. Send me thick wrecks. Send me other things. And if you have some spare change, drop a little bit in a tip jar. And that would be very, very helpful and very appreciated. I will see you next time. Thank you for listening. And goodbye. Goodbye.